0: Hi, I'm Jeremy Leslie. Welcome to the Mag Culture podcast. As ever, I'm here at MagCulture HQ in Clerkenwell, London, uh, for this 34th episode of the podcast. I'm sat in the studio space behind the shop, so expect a few random noises in the background as customers come and go. We welcome two guests for this episode. First up is Andrew Diprose. Andrew has a rich history of magazine design and art direction, mixing big magazines. He was design director at the UK edition of Wired for 14 years, and indie magazines, He was co-founder with his brother, Philip, of the beautiful illustrated cycling magazine, Ride Journal, from 2007 to 2017. And I think that magazine has a particular place in the kind of pantheon of of independent publishing for sort of setting a particular tone for that whole sector of publishing. So I'm keen to catch up on that with him. Um, But he's now editor or creative director at the Soho House Group and has another new project afoot, which we'll be discussing I'll also be talking to Nicola Hamilton, who joins us on Zoom from Toronto, where she opened the magazine shop Issues just about six months ago. What has she made of magazine retail so far? But first, while Andrew selects some magazines from our shelves, some mag culture updates. It's been a busy start to 2023. By the time you listen to this, our Flatplan magazine-making masterclass will have just taken place, with 50 attendees from across the world joined on Zoom by 10 speakers to kickstart their magazine ambitions. It's always exciting to see what emerges from the Flatplan. Previous editions have helped launch Icarus Complex, Yana, Screen Time uh, and Post Humanist, to name a few. It's an important part of what we do, and it's always inspiring, not just for the participants, but for us here at MagCulture. Similarly inspiring are our student field visits, where we welcome a cohort of um, BA and MA students to hear about what we do and hear about the magazines that we love. Our latest university visits were from Oxford Brooks, and Ravensbourne. And coming up, we also have our first shop events, um, the return of a a dedicated programme for the first time since the pandemic. Really excited about this. Um, And these start with Mag Culture meets Chutney on the 9th of March and then later that month we'll be helping celebrate the latest issue of Boys, Boys, Boys. Watch out for ticket details on the journal or better still, sign up for our We Love Magazine's newsletter to keep up with these and everything else Mag Culture. But now to Andrew. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Um, you. You've been looking through um, the shelves out there and you've, you've selected a few special items that caught your eye i have what are you going to lead with
1: so i'm probably going to lead with the modern house magazine because it's something that i own every issue of and you know it's like one of those things when you get into it like those adverts you see on tv which is like you know build your own batmobile in you know 200 (laughs) issues you start with issue one and then you see issue two with a big number two on it and then by that time they've got you hooked and you've got to buy every single issue um but i absolutely love it i think what the what the modern house does is very clever, you know, whether it's online or with the magazine that I think is studio small. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they take you to a space, you know, whether it's an interior of some beautiful house in Margate or, you know, it, it really is, it's it's lifestyle, it's places you want to live, you know, it's considered the use of space in the magazine is amazing. And, you know, every time I see the next one out, I have to get it and I have to add it to my collection. And I have... Issue. I have this, actually, I have this issue five down the side. It sounds really weird. Down the side of my daughter's bed. And when I'm, she's reading a <laughs> bedtime story to herself, I pull out a copy of the Modern House <laughs> magazine and work my way through it. And it's funny, you know, we have this little moment, you know, we're both reading. Mm-hmm. I'm always magazines. She's uh-huh. like, you know, books for teenagers or whatever. And, um, you know, we have this moment and I don't know what she makes of it. Occasionally she glances across and sees me looking longingly at, you know, a picture of a flapping curtain in some Ibethan, you know, villa, and you know, people having an exclusive dinner party, you know, over handmade produce, you know, in Greece or somewhere, <laughs> and and I don't know, I don't know what she thinks of it, but she knows that that's my happy place. Uh-huh, you know.
0: uh-huh. That's lovely. And, and uh, do you look at the website as well? Is that it?
1: oh, all the time? Mm-hmm. Like I look at the website, and I and I'm really fascinated. And this 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 links back a little bit to the change in you know where i've worked leaving mainstream publishing and working for a brand mm-hmm. that you can see people who are telling stories about you know interiors or doing editorial around supporting a brand is super interesting <clears> and it's <throat> you know obviously a, a massive change in the industry over the last 15 years and i think they do it very well that they their curation of um you know, of individuals in their spaces and their lifestyles have really supported, you know, the modern house and Inigo brands. And I, th- I think it's just fantastic. And, you know, when I, you know, it's one of those classic moments where on Instagram you see the other people who, who are your friends who've liked a similar post, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I see you're into that. Oh, I see you're into that. And, you know, whenever I've referenced the modern house or the modern house magazine i just have a everybody you know i am in that venn diagram of people who Mm -hmm, are who mm -hmm. you know where art meets interiors meets design um and and publishing you know
0: i mean i think it's a really interesting case study of exactly what you of, of brand publishing because the website is much more kind of matter of fact and i mean it's still beautiful but it but you are looking at things that are for sale yes um but they've Added the, the magazine adds a layer of kind of lifestyle and it fleshes out the whole thing and it makes it much more. You see the people that live there and it, and and there's music playlists and there's different kind of elements come into play and it's not competing with it but it adds really intelligently to the website.
1: Yeah I think if they'd have replicated what they did and it kind of looked similar and had a similar sort of design language it wouldn't be what it is. I think mm-hmm. it was a smart move and to have the luxury that you can in print of having multiple pages and large images and stuff that you can really pour over it's not the same but you know but even on you know if somebody said to, to, to me you know, I'd be spending a lot of time looking at images from an estate agent you know I'd have balked at that idea but the, the the way it is curated and the way it is displayed and the standard of the photography really
0: has, you know, has, it wins has changed. You over. Yeah, 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 it does, yeah, it does yeah. win yeah. me over. But then you've got some very different magazines to that.
1: Yeah, I just think I I, I wanted to just whiz round the store, which is awesome as ever. Like, and there was a lot of stuff that caught my eye, but I thought I'd naturally pick up stuff that you know I had relationship with, and 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 I found myself. In a um, in a news agent in Stuttgart recently, and you know we were just saying about how healthy um, uh, newsstands are on on the continent. Mm-hmm. And I was recently in Antwerp where they have an amazing store yeah, there yeah. as
0: well. And talking it, of Instagram, I saw you posted that that shop, yeah yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just mind yeah. blowing and yeah. and i've been there yeah it's, it is extraordinary.
1: people who are into magazines quite often will do that thing, you know where you pitch up somewhere whether it 's on a family holiday or a business trip, and you're mm. like magazine store, and you just see and you know whether it's like do you read me or mm-hmm. you know all of those sort of places um you pop into somewhere and they have that, you know, probably that international, you know, mix that you might might not be familiar with. But just that that feeling of just, you know, the variety. Obviously, you know, for London, what do we have? We have, you know, mag culture. But when when you're abroad, you might bump into those places. But I happened to be in the airport and I saw Fraulein magazine or Fraulein mm-hmm. magazine. Mm-hmm. And I was just really, it stopped me because I was like, what is that? That looks like a hand-painted, you know, masthead split into two parts, like with... with with a word split, like, you know, which is just, it's just so counterintuitive for magazine people where you want to have, you know, traditional logo, top left, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very legible, you know, preferably over a picture of a person, you know, unobstructed, definitely not split, definitely, like, hand-drawn and definitely not, you know... It, it, it's, it, it, just, it's
0: quite roughly hand-drawn, isn't it's it? Really it's, it's It's capitals and lowercase cases. Yes. It's quite, it's, it, to say it's childlike... would so it dismisses i mean it's much more finished than that but it's rough
1: it's rough and it's and it's and it's interesting i i, I came back to it because they you know regardless of whether it was a tight crop on you know it's a women's magazines tight crop on a woman or a pull back environmental shot it seems to be predominantly environmental photography um, that you could still, they still, the composition was great and you could still understand it being a cover even though it's got this whacking great, you know, logo over it which really probably is taking up half of the real estate, you know, even though you have the counters in the type and stuff. It's, it's, it's over half of the cover is given over to the logo but it still seems just fresh. And there, I, I've seen uh, back issues that have got interesting use of like matte and gloss varnish so you can mm-hmm. run your hand over and it, and it adds to the feeling that it's... It's hand-painted. I, th- I just thought it's amazing.
0: The other thing to note with this is that every issue comes with, I mean, multiple covers galore. And that's quite a thing now. Is, is Magazines do u- use multiple covers, you know, but they maybe do four, six, eight. I mean, I, I'm not sure how many they... I mean, they seem to do dozens. It feels... Sometimes it feels like every single copy we have has got a different
1: photo. Yeah, I find it a bit baffling. Yeah. You know, that, because I looked on the newsstand, and I was like, I'm looking at three different months but it's the mm-hmm. same month and what does it say? Like, and I've been thinking about that, you know, with the Soho House magazine. You know, we have we've been doing multiple covers. You know, how do you tie those together with a kind of a language that makes you Mm -hmm. understand that it's different, you know, different covers of the same edition? Um, Should you have a similar sort of, like, aesthetic? Um, But but this, you know, this thing's kind of crazy but fun, you know, and then inside the photography mirrors what's going on on the cover and it's super sort of natural Mm. and down-to-earth and kind of real and raw, which I think, you know, seems kind of modern.
0: We should, we, and we should credit the person behind it. I mean, the, I don't know the whole history of the magazine. I think it's quite a long-standing magazine for, from uh, Germany. But it's currently... The, the, the current look and feel is, is um, overseen by Mike Meary, who's a big name in German art direction. Um, I know him from Econy and Brandein. He does 032C at the moment. Um, and there's a very particular kind of rough and ready approach he takes, and that's evidenced in, as, as you're flicking through the inside pages there.
1: Yeah, it feels... It feels modern and fresh and yeah, arty and rough. And well, I'm hoping I, you know, I'm I'm imagining I'm not the target market, but I admire how, you know, they're really they're really doing something. It's fresh, you know. And everybody has that, you know, when I go into a into a store, you have that three seconds of flicking through something where you're like. Have I seen it before? What is it? What's it saying? What kind of magazine is it? And you see those little signifiers and how mm-hmm, the type mm-hmm. is set, yeah. how busy the pages are, the quality of the stock, the style of the photography. And when I flicked through that, I was like, wow, I really got this. it. was just, you know, it's like a strong perfume, you know what I mean? <laughs> you're either into it or you're not.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then there's another magazine you were looking for, which, we, which you couldn't find because we sold out, but you were keen to mention Luncheon.
1: Yes. I, really, I wanted to mention Luncheon because it's a magazine I really admire. I don't own a ton of copies of it, but whenever I go somewhere, I'll have a look at it. And just the quality of the typesetting mm-hmm. with the cover and the, the scale of the thing as well. Like, there's something so impressive about it. It feels like, you know, people talk about that transition of magazines to bookazines and getting something that's like, you know, coffee to tea coffee table worthy mm-hmm. and that really is just mm-hmm. the best example of that and it feels like you are you know you're getting something that's got heft and is going to last and you're going to pour over and it's really you know a collection of art more than a magazine
0: it's funny you should mention art because there's one cover i remember really vividly which i, I was surprised to see the last last couple of weekends back when i was at the tate uh, and that was the the painting by Lynette yadam Burke, the figure on a green background with the, with the, with the big ruff and that cover really really struck me and that 's the one that i whenever I picture luncheon, I think of this cover, and then I went to see this exhibition, and there was the painting and I think that 's beautiful and but that is typical i mean they, they do it is art almost
1: yeah I think it 's like a cultural moment, and thats that 's the thing that 's brilliant and fascinating about magazines. you have everything that might be labeled a magazine that could be virtually like a word search, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, or Chat Magazine or Now Magazine, all the way through to things like that that really are, you know, borderline art publishing and and further than Luncheon, you know, that really are, you know, a a journal of photography or, you know, or a selection of essays, you yeah, know, that yeah. really is a, is a novel, you know, and that's the brilliant thing about magazines. They push right into all of mm-hmm. these... You know, all of these different disciplines of art and writing, everything, you know, from, from you know, you know down to earth tabloid to absolute high yeah. art and collectible.
0: I think even the two magazines you've met, I mean, the, you had Fräulein there, which is very rough and ready and much more contemporary and very of the moment, and, and, and that's its whole raison d'etre. Whereas Luncheon is much more, I mean, they, 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 they we gave that one example, the front cover, but their, but their coverage is, you know, a lot of it is archive material, is historic photography. It's is, is, is not just now, it's back in, in the past as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that's interesting. That's all about the editor as curator. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm finding these images, you might not have seen them, but I think they're important and I want to share them with you.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, you've got one, and we're talking about well, curation and research. You've, you've got a magazine which is the epitome of this. Yes, Popeye
1: magazine.
0: Um, Popeye from Japan.
1: And, oh, it just made me really excited about... Japanese magazines and that style of Japanese magazine, which is just pure lifestyle, but it's not lifestyle like, you know, modern house. It's, you know, little details, you know, the pencil you can only buy from this particular place or, you know, somebody we found who's a friend of the magazine who has an amazing house and a collection of trainers or, you know... Um, four by fours from the 1980s that have been restored, like you know the Japanese absolutely nail subculture, mm-hmm. and their magazines reflect mm-hmm. that and so you know the the even though i can 't read a word in it well, I can actually read magazine for city boys issue nine one one and the date, but other than that i can 't read a word in it, but I am so excited to pour through the images
0: we established that this issue is uh, issue nine one one is um, about the homes of the city boys. But what I, what I love about it is, and, I, and I, obviously, again, I can't read it, but I have a sense that every time they mention something, there's a picture of it. There's no, you, can't, you can't talk about something in, in this magazine without, and here it is. And that's why we like it, is because it's a reference for every single item in it. Yeah,
1: and I love that thing. You know, it's the thing that comes up quite often when people are making magazines, especially mainstream publishing. You know, it's it's how 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 service it is or not. Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of magazine you're going to make. You know, you buy Popeye magazine there because you think brilliant. I'm going to go and buy a really expensive tent because I've seen this one here, <laughs> okay. or a pair of, you know, trousers that I can only get in one shop in you know in in Tokyo or whatever. But but they've done all of that for you, they've done that research for you and you can buy into that, whereas other magazines might just say, I'm just going to give you, you know, the crop of a back of a person's neck, but mm-hmm. that's important to us and it's a, it's a completely different thing, but they're all you know, under that umbrella.
0: It's a massive seller, it's a hugely popular magazine, and a long way at last. Um, I, I just wanted to mention one other magazine, which is our current magazine of the month. I don't know whether you noticed this when, when you were looking at the shelves, but Pleasant Place is from Amsterdam and it's a gardening magazine. And it comes; it's got these little um, clips on the side. There's going to be a binder, which nice. kind of goes back to your part works. Yes. Comment. Um But it's about gardening. But it's not the nor- your normal gardening magazine. Um, for the first issue was about enclosures, which is the perfect beginning because that's how gardens first came about because they were fenced off or surrounded by hedges or they, you know the, the space was enclosed and then it becomes a garden. Um, and that was this one. And then the, the, you're just flicking through issue two there, which is about the humble nasturtium, that little orange flower that I think you can eat, can't you? I, it's I, amazing. I it you
1: can put it on a salad, probably. Put it, put it on a salad, that's, yeah. that, that's better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's not just decoration. You can eat the thing. Um, but it give us a sense of what's inside, issue one had, had a report from Derek Jarman's Dungeness Beach Garden, which, of course, is famously unenclosed. Um, and then issue two visited Boston to discover the hanging nasturtiums at the Gardner Museum. Um, but there's the design that really caught my attention here. The title on the front, um, talking about this, going back to Freulein, yes. they, they, I mean, here the name Pleasant Place is, is much more legible, but it's made up of little elements. In the case of, the, of, of issue two, it's made up of, of nasturtium petals.
1: It's, it's cool, but yet, yet they meet. both look like a, a similar sort of treatment in a way. Yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah. can understand it as the same logo, even though it's rendered Even in though they're way. Slightly, slightly different. Yeah.
0: And then on the inside... I, I, I just love love the way they put it together, and there and there are some of those little in the nasturtiums issue. There are some little nasturtiums just kind of scattered across the page, it's like so seeds. It's fun, and it's just fun. Yeah, and there's a. In fact, the thing that really I bought was this this line on the back describing the magazine it's a growing collection of publications about the art of gardening and i just like the idea that it's going to grow in the same way that your garden will grow and just i love it it's just just cute you've you've
1: made a great line for them there, jeremy (laughs) um i love this kind of thing because this is this doesn't sound right but it's like kind of cozy publishing like publishing that takes you to a place and yeah yeah and Especially in these, you know, I love to see magazines that in these times where we are bombarded and we might often be tired or we might be anxious that there are these magazines that take us to places Mm -hmm. where we're like, you know, I can retreat away from what might be my day to day and go into these places which, you know, might be around nature or they might be around a pastime Mm -hmm. or something that's going to maybe be a, you know, a little bit of a, a respite from your day to day.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And in a way, it's, it's, it's quite a neat companion piece to a modern house. It's very different, but you kind of you've got your house and your garden. Completely, and, and like
1: I was just thinking that and, completely. And you your tent from Popeye I, like, <laughs> I might not have an amazing garden, but I can look at that magazine or yeah, I yeah, can yeah. read about the honesty of cultivating flowers and having time outside and fresh air. Mm-hmm. The same thing, you know. I might not live in that beautiful, you know, modern house out in the country, but I might think, oh, one day, or I could paint my walls that color, or I could buy that piece of furniture. Where I could simplify my living space, mm-hmm. and it's exactly the same thing. It's just giving me somewhere to go to inspiration. Yeah,
0: yeah. Thank you. It's been really interesting see, see, seeing the selection there. But I, I hope you also spotted your latest project on the shelves. I did. Um, I've got a copy here. Soho House magazine um, issue one was released the end of, sort of towards the end of last year with three covers. I think three covers. Three covers. Yeah. Um, but but tell us a, a little about what the nature of this magazine. Yeah. Um, so I, I landed at Soho House
1: almost a year ago and within, you know, a couple of days and um, we, we were tasked, myself and, and James, the entertainment director, were tasked with putting on a, an awards and a magazine to support the awards, you know, and to feature the talent for the awards, the first Soho House awards, which was at, um, on the 1st of September. And so the magazine, you know, Soho House previously had a magazine called House Notes. It's had a couple of magazines over time. And I think those were predominantly great magazines, and I would pick one up occasionally when I'd be in a house. But, you know... Um, when, when they moved to a, um, an app for members, then a lot of the information that would have been in there, like listings and what was happening in the houses, moved into that digital space. So I think there was a kind of a feeling as well as, you know, the pandemic and how that changed, you know, people being around or picking up magazines or visiting the houses, um, how, they, how they convey their, um, that information to members, you know, whether it's on the website or the app. So that was that for the old magazines. Yeah. So we were starting, you know, we were starting from fresh. Everything from, you know, sourcing the printer, the stock, the the template, the typefaces, the color palette, the style of the photography had to be done from scratch uh-huh. and in a really compressed amount
0: of time. Uh huh. Uh huh. And, and 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 its purpose is to highlight what's happening at, the, at all the Soho House clubs around the world. Uh, but it's, but it's it has celebrities on the cover, so. Uh, how do they yeah it's really interesting
1: yeah. isn't it? I know like the magazine in many ways supported the awards, and because the award is a, is around talent, you know the talent mm-hmm. wants to see you know yeah. there is yeah. still a lot of cachet in having a print product and having you know they want to be part of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you know alongside the the event we we made magazine to go with it. Um, but it is, yes, it tells stories from the houses and for this it told stories of the talent who were the awards winners mm-hmm. for, for this yeah, this, yeah.
0: this first awards. As yeah. a member of sohouse House, you go along with the club and you could pick up a free copy of this magazine and it helped engage you with what's happening there. But equally, it's on sale. So we sell it and other, and other stores sell it.
1: Yes, and that was in a really interesting transition because originally it was just going to be a magazine for the houses and for members to come in and then it's on the front desk and they can pick up a copy and they can see what's happening globally in the houses. They can They can see talent that they can, you know, they can recognise or we can support emerging talent with it and they can, you know, it's part of their world. There was a moment for me when I thought we could do more than just share it with members and that we had printed enough copies that we could get them in great retailers, you know, like Mag Culture, We could get those uh, distributed in, in... Well, they're distributed globally mm-hmm. in the best mm-hmm. magazine stores and galleries and places where they might have that kind of magazine. And I think it... It transitioned from a member magazine to a magazine that would hopefully attract members too. That the people who come along and be like, "Oh, hang on, I didn't think of Soho House as a, you know, creative community. Oh, this is interesting. You know, I've learned something, and it can be a, it can be an acquisition tool mm-hmm, as well." Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And, and he said it was, it was creating a very uh, compressed timeline, but it doesn't feel it. I mean, it looks, you know, it's, it's an impressive debut. It's, a, it's a strong. It's been popular here. Despite it being sort of produced in such a rush, were you happy with the result? Did you feel good about it?
1: I was happy with the result, but it's anything, you know, anybody who makes magazines will always look at the last thing that they did and think, oh, I would do that differently next time, you know. (laughs) And what we did with this one, it was very bright and colourful and a lot of flat colour, which was tied to the branding for the the awards event, which was all bright colours, you know, the condensed type face. And it was meant to be seen as a complete package and now I think, you know, that will, that will suit an awards issue and I think I'll probably keep that, that style going for, uh-huh. for, the, for the awards in this year. But the other issues, I wanted to have freedom to do things that were black and white and right. to do more, you know, daylight photography and, you know, and things more around fashion so is, as well. Uh, are
0: you developing the next issue now? Yes, I'm working on the next okay, issue okay. now, which should be out mid-April. And so, by the sound of it, it'll be slightly different in tone. Yeah, less, so this one will be, perhaps.
1: yeah, this one we were doing a really big, we were doing a, a summit at Soho Farmhouse, and the summit is around uh, art and design and innovation and culture. So, it's going to have a slightly different twist on it. It will be part of that event as well and um, feature some of the people who are going to be talking at the event um, but more with a kind of a fashion and art bent to it Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. I'm really excited about Mm -hmm. you know
0: and then alongside the magazine you're doing a lot of work uh, on Instagram and social media and that kind of yeah uh, so there was a
1: big it was it was fascinating because I I left Wired magazine um, the 1st of May and I pitched up at Soho House like on the 9th of May literally (laughs) one week later um, which was a ridiculous thing to do. But, you know, I, I imagined that I would have been diving straight into doing purely digital at that point. And, we, you know, that's a big part of what I do, you know, whether it's branding or graphic design or photography mm-hmm. for for social or web. Um, and then I got pulled back into the magazine world, you know, within days of being there. So, so you didn't
0: go there the, didn't the, the go there to do print on the agenda. Okay, no
1: okay. no so i you know i was kind of laughing and i was feeling you know like oh this is good i've done my magazine time i've sealed uh-huh. things off nicely we'll have a little bit of a break and and then you know blow me like days <laughs> later i was pulled back into the world of print and
0: ink <laughs> um and, and you talked you, know, uh, you talked about leaving wired you've been there for 14 years was that was that hard to leave? I mean, it, it, <laughs>
1: you can imagine, can't you? After fourteen yeah. years, I was I was only talking about you know about it to somebody today, and I was just saying it became so much part of who I was, and I was so much part of the magazine for you know for better or worse that it was really hard to leave because all of the decisions that I'd made over time, obviously bearing in mind that it was part of a family and a look and an approach that was based on wide in the US, um, that, you know, over time that we'd kind of like morphed and changed and we'd had a redesign or brought in a new typeface and we'd changed the style of the photography. I was part of every decision of that. And so when you're actually, you've decided to step away from something like that, it's just... It's like leaving what you do. Mm-hmm. you know, it was really difficult. and there were some lovely people, and there still are some really lovely people there. And before I left, I went over to work on like an international redesign with with the um, with Miley and the team in San Francisco, which was just amazing. and in a way that kind of closed the loop
0: uh-huh. yeah.
1: and And the fascinating thing there was that we were, we were doing, in some of our approaches, were doing what they were doing when I joined the magazine and it was kind of, you know, just us all falling back in line and coming back together with a sort of an international approach as beca- they, the the magazine became more of an international yeah, publication.
0: Yeah, yeah, which has been happening across the board at Condé Nast. They're, they're very much sort of uh, consolidating their, their, their creative uh, teams into sort of na- international teams Sets of people rather than local editions. And yeah, stuff.
1: which really, which is is a challenge for people working in an editorial. Whether you're a writer or whether you are a a designer, you know, you had a lot of freedom to work on your own international edition, and they had, you know, they all maybe had their own their own style and their own approach. But you know, and 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 I can understand the decision. You know, Condé Nast can be like. Why well, you know we might be making the same story 10 times over in different territories we might be doing a similar style of fashion shoot 15 times over we're covering the catwalk shows you know 60 times over you know why would we not want to simplify that and have you know a content creation hub however you know however you want to call it um and that be and that be pushed out globally but you know as I say, like it's, you know, it's a challenge for local teams when that changes the way they work. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. For, for, for me, I think the most extreme example of that was um, I, I, I happened across a, a recent edition of GQ magazine. And I think, you know, I just have to go back sort of three or four years and GQ was very much at the top of its game. It, Dylan Jones was the editor-in-chief. Paul Solomons was the uh, creative director. And it, it, if I'm, uh, to be frank, it wasn't my favourite magazine. It wasn't... it didn't really speak to me, but I knew it was good at what it did. It was a really strong team producing really strong work. And I, and I saw a, a recent edition and it felt like it had been completely deconstructed and reduced down to the bare minimum.
1: Yeah, GQ. In a is, rather
0: tragic manner.
1: GQ is a really interesting example because the US edition of GQ and the UK edition had very, very different different approaches, different editorial, different style. You know, the US edition was much more youthful. It was very playful with typography. It was a, a bit more kind of street, kind mm-hmm. of luxe street, and that was a big part of it. And obviously, physically, it was very, you know, thin by comparison, you know, the pagination was mm-hmm. like, you know, it was like a fifth of um, what GQ was doing in in London. But, you know, there there are these big decisions being made globally and you know, these, yeah, these changes.
0: Hard times at Condé Nash creatively in that respect. But, you, but you, you, you jumped out and suddenly found yourself making a new magazine for So House. How does that, the sort of whole sort of work set up compare there? Is it, is it, I mean, are there similarities or, or have you gone to somewhere completely different?
1: There, there are similarities, but it's fascinating in that it is, it's supporting a brand and it's taken me a while to think of how to say this best. You know, there, there was, uh, and I've mentioned this, Previously. There's a kind of a cosy feeling with traditional publishing where you feel like, especially with brands like Wired, it's like altruistic. It's pure journalism. We're telling the stories that matter. You know, and Wired really on a good month, Mm -hmm. you know, or bi-monthly, or, you know, whatever, was really doing that like nowhere else. You know, you know with your Vogue's and your GQ's or whatever, they are supporting, they have advertising support and they have a responsibility Mm -hmm. to have a relationship Mm -hmm. with those partners. But, you know, Wired was really just telling stories stories that was, it was almost newspaper style journalism, you know, about, I don't know, a, 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 you know, a brain implant that was changing something or, you know, making making rockets in India or a startup in, you know, Silicon Valley that was changing the world. And I felt like I was a journalist.
0: I think, well, you had, you had editorial leaders like David Rowan and Greg Williams, who were real sort of... Long standing established proper journalists.
1: Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what is different. That, you know, and I, I wouldn't, like, honestly, wouldn't say one was better or worse. In a way, I'd rather know, you know, Wired still was supported by advertising and we had partners, especially online, and we, you know, it's, it's for making money. It is not just. Just for fun and to tell these important stories, it is not. And I it's think a that's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a business. Yeah, it's a business. It's a business. And I think I, I, it's made me think a lot about you know what 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 I'm doing. And these these places are businesses. Um, but on a good day, when you're telling important, interesting stories, um, or you're shining light on emerging talent or whatever, they can still really have value too. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a modern house magazine or whatever. It's, you know, it has a had a commercial side to it, but you are hopefully offering value, additional value to whether you're a Soho House member or whether you've
0: paid, you know,
1: a tenner for it on a newsstand, you know, somebody's getting some value from it.
0: Well, we were talking earlier about the the Modern House magazine and how that kind of fleshes out the brand, and it's, and it's a really good example of storytelling above and beyond the brand it exists for. And I think so. The So House magazine is doing a similar thing. I spent the whole of the Noughties working at John Brown, where we exclusively made editorial for brands, and that was it, that was the beginning of it all in a way. We were working for all sorts of brands, from Virgin Atlantic and Waitrose, um, Orange, as was, and, and um, as well as more. You know, smaller brands, but and Sky, Sky TV. And um, but that was uh, that was a bit more kind of it was freer then. It's got it's got tighter now, I think, and, and it's it's harder now to to work in that space. But if you can do it, and I think we've established some really good examples here, and I think SOAS is a great example of of, of this, is is there's real scope for storytelling there that uh, aligns itself and backs up and sort of adds to what's going on online and digital. And it's just it's sort of it's like a sort of virtuous circle,
1: yeah, I think, and I think we're you know we're really mindful when we're thinking, yes, we're telling stories that are you know supporting the business, and we're talking you know we might be talking about soho home or we might be talking about you know bedrooms in Europe or whatever, but I think if people aren't getting getting additional value from it, it's just you know you're just doing the thing down, and I think we have to you know teams that are doing you know doing editorial for brand cleverly are interrogating what the end result is and what the you know what the reader is going to get out of it
0: that's the word i mean and i think this happens so often and i think we're probably slightly guilty of it even with this podcast and what we do and stuff but it's it always circles back to the reader a magazine is is absurd it's a pointless exercise if you don't have a reader at the end of it. Yeah,
1: completely. And I have got, you know, I have... Yes, of course, like every creative director likes to please themselves or they want to do some amazing type or they want to do some interesting crop of an image or whatever. But I hope that you know, on a good day that I've got the reader centre of my mind and mm-hmm. I imagine when they arrive at one of the houses that they pick up the magazine and they're like, whoa, this is cool, no way, I love that person. I never knew that happened. Oh, my goodness, I have been, you know, I've been enriched. I'm proud to be a member. I'm proud to be part of this, you know, this mm-hmm. organisation, mm-hmm. this 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 club. And, you know, they've got something, yeah, more from it and it has, you know, like we're saying, like Modern House or whatever, mm-hmm. like it has... Mm-hmm
0: enriched the brand we've been talking about your work for wired and for soho house the big kind of day job alongside that you've always had something else going on as well and i think i first met you way back when you were still producing the ride journal which was the kind of which absolutely as i said in my introduction was a kind of one of those moments in, in independent publishing that sort of set the tone for the future of independent publishing um, and I, I, I actually did come across an issue I didn't realise, but you're you telling me this this was the launch issue. I think it's the launch issue. Yeah, um, and it's lovely to see it again. And obviously, I think you did ten issues. Ten issues, and and you ended that.
1: We end. My brother ended it. I don't hold it against him, but he did. <laughs> he killed it. No, we we got to a point, and this is an this is an interesting thing about making independent magazines, especially you know it was a side hustle before people called it side hustles. Yeah. But yeah. if you're making a magazine and you're not earning any money from it, or all the pro- proceeds go to charity, it's not even it's not really a side hustle. Yeah, it's just no, like a time. It's suck. just a side <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah it's a side <laughs> thing. And so we were doing it, and it was obviously it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of toing and froing. And as I got busier with Wired and my my brother is a tv editor and he got busier and he had a kid he was doing i was really mindful that he was doing a lot of the unsexy stuff as well with independent publishing so he was dealing with the distribution people who were irate who had they hadn't got their copies or chasing an invoice for somebody who was slow in paying so he was doing all of that and he got to a point where he said i think i think we need to knock it on the head so yeah yeah so we
0: did in a way it's 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 uh it, its existence lives on in a number of other magazines i think since the use of illustration and the typographic approach so so it it made its mark
1: yeah I think that's very kind of you to say so like we when, when when we started doing it we we did this we we had a mountain bike trip in Wales and we decided you know we why not why not do something cool i I saw a photocopied fanzine that somebody had put together that was literally a photocopy of some bike images of single-speed mountain bikes or whatever, but there was something so kind of clubby about it in a really nice way. Like, it was a bit like, oh, did you get a copy of that thing that Steve photocopied and uh-huh. it did, you know? And it had some, like, really crappy black-and-white photography and some handwritten captions and stuff. And it was really ziny. And I was just like, there's something so powerful about that. And at the same time, Howie's, talk, talk back to brand, Howie's, the, you know, the lifestyle yes, yes, clothing yeah, brand, yeah, yeah. had a really have... yes. brilliant self-published magazine that was so good, I, I actually found out, I called them up and I found out who printed their their. i have like, forgotten brochure. about that. Yeah, it. But and it, that it was, was brilliant. It actually
0: was more brochure-ish, but it was very editorial. Yes, yeah, it was very yeah, editorial.
1: Yeah. And, and um, Dave Hyatt, you know, obviously yeah. he does Hyatt denim and he does the Do Lectures. That guy's a genius. Like, he was doing, he was doing like, conscious publishing where it was like eco or mm-hmm. lifestyle or talking about mental health or talk about the the benefits of being in the outdoors talking about lifestyle choices about making your own food or whatever, years before anybody, and I'm not talking about 60s hippie press, like years before brands were, that was part of their conversation. Yeah, yeah. And this was probably around, I think I found one the other day that might have been like 2006 or 2007, and I And I'd got some notes written on the back and I'd called the publisher Cambry, uh, the, the printer Cambrian, and they printed the ride journal for us and they were in West Wales. And I was, you know, that was part of that, you know, that inspiration was that, that mm-hmm, Howie's, mm-hmm. Howie's brochure.
0: Which makes absolute sense. Just to pick up quickly, and one thing you mentioned there was just that, that, how that zine felt like uh, it, it was almost a club. And and, and when we're talking about the Soho House, and and, and there there is that thing that magazines deliver, which is a sort of community, and and it's almost they are almost a club in the first place. Yes,
1: so many things. Making
0: a magazine for a club almost is kind of inevitable.
1: (laughs) Yes, so many things that so many conversations i'm having with people now about the idea of community whether it's a bike event that phil and i do Mm -hmm. whether it's you know this next project um, that i've been working on that actually has become a live exploration event as well as a printed product Mm -hmm. that feeling of bringing people together whether it's people who admire modern houses or people who admire gardening or people who admire you know, vintage Japanese 4x4s, four so like that feeling that, you you know, when you buy a magazine, you are buying into a club and that's the power, that's the power of Vogue mm-hmm, under mm-hmm. your arm or whatever, you know, you can identify with those things. And that's what we wanted to do with the Ride Journal. We could be like, you know, we're really geeky about bikes. Are you interested in us telling you some stories? If you are, I've got a magazine for you.
0: I said that the the Ride Journal had ceased, but but as we moved to moved the new project that you just kind of alluded to there, I see at the top of it, it does mention the Ride Journal.
1: Yes, I think, I don't know why we did that. I I quite like the idea of doing like a, you know, like you have in films that you have the, you know, the director and the film company Uh and the sort of, you know, I don't know. So
0: from the makers of the Ride Journal. Yeah, exactly, from the
1: makers of the Ride (laughs) Journal and North London Dirt, which happens to be a small gravel bike event in Stoke Newington. It's funny. Like, yeah. It was like a little bit of a joke, but then it's also, you know, we've got support from Rafa, who, mm-hmm. you know, who supported us with, you know, printing for the um, for the publication. So I wanted a place to put those yeah. those little things as well. And, you know, so that maybe people have seen the Rye Journal in the past, etc., cetera, etc.
0: Cetera. But the big type on the front cover says Superstore Wilderness. So that's the name of the project, right? It is. Which is a name, I've mentioned to one or two people who without knowing anything about the project, we were immediately intrigued and fascinated and thought it was a great name, I'm first so, of all. I'm so pleased. Um, but tell us about this. So you couldn't resist going back to doing something on your own, right? No. Story? no. Yeah, well, it, it
1: kind of is. It's really weird. I literally was in a COVID sweat, like, in October, and I was just lying there, and it's actually one of those moments where you're forced to take a break from your normal work. You know, Soho House is very demanding, it's very fast-paced, it's very busy, and I found myself in bed for a few days, really ill, just lying there, but not so ill that I couldn't think about magazines. <laughs> and so, you know, I'd creep over and I'd pick off a California Sunday or I'd pull something from my... Yeah you know opposite much you know my wife is very disappointed but like half of the other end of the bedroom is is old magazines and like my archives. It. <laughs> I'll pull some things over to the bed and I'd be sweating flicking my way through all of you know all of these back issues and I and I just started thinking you know you know my brother Phil and I do this this bike event where we are exploring ways of getting out of London you know those funny areas I didn't even know they were called edgelands before. We were, used to call them like hinterlands. Mm-hmm. But um, they're called edgelands and they, it's that area where, you know, the city and man and architecture um, and infrastructure meets nature. And so you have those spaces, liminal spaces. Uh, I knew liminal was going to come up somewhere. Honestly, I've never even used the word liminal before, but I find myself, you know, using the word edgelands and liminal far too often. But it's those funny spaces between, you know, it's like, is this countryside? No, it's not. It's shabby. There are pylons. There's a flyover. But yet under the flyover, there's this amazing bit of forest and this dirt track and this, this weird, you know, very diverse, you know, ecological area that just happens to be ugly.
0: And, and th- these are areas that you discover through your bike rides?
1: So, yeah, so Phil and I would be scouting for routes at, at, the, um, at the weekend. My brother's a genius for finding funny little ways, you know, down the back of a cemetery along the canal under an underpass. And we would pride ourselves in finding... It's almost like a, a, a two-wheeled follow-my-leader of, like, you know, what's the weirdest direction <laughs> you could take to, to give people this experience of finding this... Mm-hmm. odd environment and so that inspired this 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 um publication all about edge lands through through the lens of runners and riders
0: yeah yeah and so we've got a proof copy here and yeah. we're just sort of flicking through it and the uh the first thing to say just to be very clear um it's it could be hardly be more different to the ride Jen. yes uh, deliberately so i'm sure i mean deliberately it's a so thing in I, every sense
1: and i struggled with not turning it into a magazine the size of Wired Magazine and Soho House and the Rye Journal. Perfect bound and small and tight and with a heavyweight cover and I deliberately wanted to do something that was more like a newspaper.
0: Which it is. So so it's kind of small,
1: tabloid-ish size? It is a tabloid size. I got a copy of a type proof Mm -hmm. from Henrik A2 Type. Okay. And... I flicked through it and as well as admiring the typefaces I thought isn't this an interesting format and you can fold it and it's kind of rough and ready but it's great and like oh why don't I I can kind of blame him with all these hours I've spent on this thing basically. Um, yeah, so why don't I do something newsprinty rather than doing mm-hmm. something that's like traditional newsstand? Yes,
0: and, and, and so that's what we have got in front of us, and and it is newsprint, but it's it's very nice newsprint. It's good, good quality. Very so straight
1: white. is exactly what happened with the Ride Journal. I wanted to do a zine. I did a 196-page yeah. perfect bound, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. small magazine. Uh-huh. This I wanted to do on rough and ready newspaper. And I, you know, I was thinking about newspaper club and they do like amazing, you know, Mm -hmm. rough and ready Mm -hmm. um, publications and brands use those to, to great effect. But as I started getting into making it, it started morphing into something that had higher production values because the people that I was contacting, the contributors, the quality of their photography demanded that I had to have a... Like a higher resolution and a whiter stock and a better quality of printing, so then I had to change, keep the same size but change the quality of the reproduction.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm glad you did. Thanks, uh, good because it it, it 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 holds these pictures really really well. So it's not illustrated. It's that I've, There's that one I've a, seen.
1: one or two illustrations, but it's
0: fundamentally photography,
1: predominantly photography. Yeah,
0: and. It's not. Um, it's not photography about cycling. It's. It is photography. There, well, there are bicycles up here, but it's. It's about the the edgelands, about the spaces. Yeah. And all around the world, different places. There's LA in there. LA
1: is in there. There's a piece about Paris. There's north of England, south mm-hmm. of England. You know, there's obviously a lot of London because you know of where you know photographers happen to be based. But you know, photograph here of Wales. Yeah, it was. It was a, a lot of fun.
0: And and is is it all newly commissioned work or is some of it?
1: So I would probably or... say, yeah, I would probably say that um, Robin's work I saw in a mm-hmm. in in a, in a book on modern landscape photography. Um, Simon's work further on in the back I saw in Pallant House Gallery um, in a in a show there, and I reached out to a couple of people, Polly Tutor, I reached out to. There's probably three stories in there, mm-hmm. but but I would say ninety percent of it is is shot for for Superstore Wilderness.
0: Yeah, it's lovely illustration by Mark Lazenby. Yeah. Very nice.
1: It's go- it gave me a good opportunity. Like, everybody makes magazines. You have brilliant, talented people you've worked with previously, whether it was with the Ride Journal, whether it was Wired or Soho House. And I could say to people, and that, that was one of the loveliest things that came out of it. You talk about the feeling of community, creative community, that I went to people, busy, talented people, and said... I've got this weird idea. Do you know what edgelands are? Do you know this thing? And after, you know, writing, rewriting like an idiot, rewriting the same two paragraphs a hundred times people were like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I've done that thing. Or, oh, I shot this thing. Oh, maybe I'll come out and do something for you. Or maybe I can work on that for you. Yeah, like people like Philip Sinden shooting yeah. people down on, uh, you know, around Hackney Marshes and out into East London. And they completely got into it and they supported it. And it was just the loveliest thing. And, and you know, it just, it's, it was genuinely heartwarming. You know, like mm-hmm. creative people, whether they're starting out or whether they're absolutely top of their game, and they said... I'm into it, I'd love to do something, why don't I go and do it? Just because I love being creative and making mm-hmm, a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God.
0: Do, do, I mean, you, you mentioned, you referred to the other, other, the bigger projects that you're involved in. Presumably, I mean, you're working with not necessarily these exact people, but a lot of similar people on those projects. And does that, does that link help you get these people involved in your little tiny project? Or does it, is it as much as anything it gives you the confidence just to reach out to these people and ask them?
1: I'd say probably a little bit of both. And it's something I've really thought about because, you know, these are people who I have employed and commissioned, Mm -hmm. a lot of them, a lot of times in the past. But that doesn't mean that they have the time or the interest to do it now. I hope it's also people that I've shown off their work and they can trust me to show it off in a way that's respected Mm -hmm. in something where the end result, they know hopefully I'm not going to make too bad hash of it and they're going to be like, I know he's going to do an all right thing, he's got a cool idea... I'm interested in doing some work. And all of these people, especially amazing photographers, they have their commercial work, but they also love to just explore these personal projects. Uh And I think some of the people, you know, fed back to me like, oh, this was great. It gave me an opportunity to head out with a different camera, do something different. And, you know, and uh, yeah, it's been a joy putting it on page.
0: It feels great just flicking through it. It's it's not bound, but you're saying you're saying you're gonna bind it. You're gonna. There was a lot of
1: angst about the binding, yes, so yeah. I'm going to bind it. And I didn't want to bind it because I thought it was even more loose and newspapery and arty and different. But actually, when I showed it to a couple of people, the pages moved around, and I could. I, I just didn't want anybody I, to be frustrated. I can
0: tell like, you now, if if we put that out in the shop like this. The number of things that get dropped in the shop, yeah. people pick them up and they flick it. They, they, it would be all over the shop. Yes. So bind it. Okay, great. It, it's really, it's really cool. It's a lovely theory. It's lovely, yes. And it's lovely to have if either you've got it on your table. Yes. <laughs> or maybe do maybe do a few that aren't bound for. Well, personal use. I
1: am going to do a few that aren't bound because the <laughs> the, the, the centre spread oh, yeah. is is a um
0: uh, yeah, is yeah
1: brutal architecture by Simon Phipps who's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And it's a big black and white by him, and I just wanted to do some type with it, and I mm-hmm. wanted the middle of it to be able to be pulled out yeah, like yeah, a poster yeah, 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 if you yeah, want to frame yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So
0: yeah, we 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 we've <laughs> seen other magazines do this, and and they, they inevitably end up in a plastic bag, which is sort of self defeating. It's really it?
1: frustrating. I had a copy of Hole and Corner, which is brilliant, yes, and yes. and it was it was well, it was more than rubber banded. It was like it had a elastic. really heavy piece of elastic. Yes. yeah, 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 and I was. I was wowed by the format and you know the quality of it. It looked it looked fantastic, um, but it was frustrating too because I was like, "Oh, the band has moved, or oh, yeah, what do I yeah. do? Do I did that page? Me-? You know, it's it's there's a, there's, there's there's in theory in
0: theory you can move the center spread and use it as a poster, but actually yes. it's quite hard. and Then it's really hard to get it back in completely. <laughs> anyway, well, congratulations on it. What what it does say? Issue one is this? Is this got a I had future? to put issue
1: one on it, but I don't. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, for anybody who's a parent, it's like, you know, you have your first kid and then you definitely especially if you're a guy, you want a gap before the second one. I don't know whether it's going to ever see issue two. I just wanted to do it really nicely. I I set out wanting to make it 56 pages. That was pagination for ages and ages. But as stuff, you know, you reach out to people and you say, hey, what about that thing? And they're like, oh, Andy, I'm going out next week. I'm going to do a thing. And I'm like, oh, bugger. Now yeah, it's got bigger pages. and bigger. <laughs> and the content was so good. I thought if I am doing it, I might as well do it. And so it ended up being... Ninety six pages, which is, you know, I popped in to see you, you know, a month or so ago, deciding whether it was a publication that I could fold or not fold. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. it can fold, just uh-huh. maybe if you don't bind it, you can yeah, fold yeah, it. Yeah, you can yeah. fold it, but I think flat, with, it's lovely too.
0: Yeah, with staples in it, it's gonna tear. Isn't yes, it? you you yeah,
1: you couldn't yeah, you yeah. couldn't staple it. So yeah.
0: I just want to pick up on that phrase, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it, because I think that is, I mean, in a sense, that is the, the, in the end, is the difference between doing something for Wired or doing something like this. At Wired, you, you might, you, you've commissioned a shoot, it comes back, you say to the editor, well, this could really live, this could do with another two spreads to really show off this photography. Wired isn't going to give you... I mean, maybe on occasion, I don't know. But but fundamentally, they're not going to be able to dig out those extra pages for you. But when you're doing your own thing, you can make that, what might in any other uh, context be a foolish decision, but you can make that decision. We're just going to add another... 48 pages or whatever.
1: Completely. And it's lunacy. And there's a good reason why commercial magazines don't do not do it, because of pre-ordering paper and because of the price of the publication and because of the amount of advertising you've got to sell to support it. Um, whereas this, I decided to sell a certain amount of pages of advertising and, you know, Rafa kindly supported us with the printing. But, you know... We could keep growing it and growing it and growing it, but then you start getting into loads of different things like how much is it going to cost to post, how big is yeah. it going to be, does it fit into an envelope, and all of that nitty gritty.
0: And there's enough of that nitty gritty already. <laughs> but, uh, but 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 the other thing you haven't mentioned is uh, on the financial side is is that it's raising money.
1: It is indeed. Yes. yes. So tell is. us about that. Well, I just thought that you know I'm you know blessed to have a you know a paid day job this was something that happened in the background and it means, you know, it's not entirely altruistic, you know, it means that I can go to people who have large day rates, you know, who are at the top of their game and say, would you like to contribute to this? I'm not making any money from it, but all of the money from the sales of the advertising and the sale of the magazine itself goes to good causes. So that is brilliant and it's like, it's what we did with the Ride Journal Mm -hmm. as well, you know. We got no richer, but we could always go to somebody with a completely straight face saying, I'm not expecting you to, to contribute your work for nothing. This is all going to a fantastic cause. Are you into that? And hopefully on a good day, it's a double win. I get to do something creative and I'm doing good at the same time.
0: So which begs the question, who are you doing good for? <laughs>
1: that is a really good question. Well, we wanted to make it um, causes that were centred around these areas, but for us, were well, like Hackney and Tower Hamlets and, mm-hmm. you know, Haringey and the places that we ride out through the canals, through the mm-hmm. forests. And so it will be food banks, it will be migrant centres, um, it will be homeless shelters and some youth groups as well. Great. So we're just going to distribute all the funds between them.
0: So we've got the proof here. When, when is it going to be available?
1: It's going to be available from the 2nd of March. Great. And Rafa and Soho are having an exhibition of some of the Mm -hmm. photographic work at the same time. So, yeah, you can pop in there and look at the work too.
0: Lovely. Andrew, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Um, And good luck with the next issue of Soho House and good luck with this launch of Superstore Wilderness. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. After this message, we head to Toronto. London Printers' Park Communications play a key part in the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers turn their dreams into reality. As well as making this podcast possible, Park support our Flat Plan Masterclass, helping new publishers discover their voice. Noble Rock, Soho House, Objection and Motor Dance Journal are just four current titles on our shelves that give a sense of what Park can achieve. Four very different magazines, all beautifully produced. As well as these high creative standards, Park are also committed to producing your magazine in the most environmentally friendly and sustainable manner. Check their website for details. Search Park Communications. Just like MagCulture, Park love magazines and we're proud to have them sponsor the MagCulture podcast. As I've noted here before, there have been a number of new magazine shops opening over the past year or so. This is great to see, of course, and reflects the booming world of the independent magazine scene. When I opened our shop seven years ago, I relied on advice from others, including Mark and Jessica from Do You Read Me in Berlin, and Martin at the now-closed magazine Brighton. So it was a pleasure to continue that chain of advice by helping Nicola Hamilton launch her magazine shop in Toronto last year. Now that her shop Issues has been open for six months, I caught up with Nicola recently on Zoom to see what she makes of the world of magazine retail. So, Nikki, hi. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: How's Toronto today?
2: It is warmer today. We were we in were a bit of a polar vortex over the weekend. It was it was in the minus 20s, um, but it's warmer and sunny for now. We'll see what happens.
0: Because at this time of year, it's cold, right? Generally, it's, I mean, it, you wouldn't expect it to be warm. It would be normal to be quite freezing, yeah?
2: Yeah, last weekend was colder colder than normal. We're used to sort of hanging out in the minus 10s. Once we get into the minus 20s, we all, we all head inside and stay there.
0: Go underground.
2: Yeah, go underground, yeah. exactly.
0: <laughs> we don't get that cold. We, 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 we've got a beautiful sunny crisp sort of winter day. It's gorgeous today. It'll be freezing later, but for now it's gorgeous. But listen, congratulations on opening shop firstly, but also congratulations on hitting six months.
2: It's so wild. I, uh, you're right. We were talking earlier about how I maybe sort of hadn't acknowledged that it had been six months already. It uh, has flown by.
0: Uh, and how are you feeling about it all?
2: I feel pretty really good. I think we've had a really consistent for six months. I now have information to base decisions on, which is which is exciting. You know, the beginning of a business is all assumptions and guesses. So that part's been really nice. Um, Our sales have been really, really consistent, which has been surprising to me since the day we opened. Month to month seems to be about the same amount of folks coming through the shop and the same amount of sales. So that's been incredible. And then our sort of next six months is all about testing as many kind of community initiatives, events, and activations and happenings as we can to hopefully build this community here in Toronto.
0: Were there any big surprises when you opened? I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you've visited enough magazine shops to kind of know what a magazine shop should be like or how you want your magazine shop to be. But having done that, there must have been something that sort of, something that was just a shot, just how did that happen? Or how does this, why do people do this?
2: There were a few things that surprised me. I think the sort of most, most emotional piece for me were the amount of people who came in and thanked us for opening. Um, it made me a little teary every time it happened, and it happened probably once a day in our first few months. Uh, I sort of anticipated that there were more folks looking for spaces to to flick through physical copies of publications and to talk to other folks about magazines and independent journalism, um, but I hadn't sort of thought the hole was as missed as maybe it was. So that was really nice.
0: I think that, that kind of... Um reflects my experience going back to when we opened the shop I think it just amazed me how you know we've been very present online and we sort of had a online presence a digital presence but having a real life presence was just I, I, I didn't expect it to be so transformative it was just people just wanted to come in and, and join in and be a part of it.
2: Yeah and and to talk to people too about it right I think there's there's something different about sort of popping in and, and chatting and chatting with the folks here who staff the shop, chatting with me and chatting with other customers. Um, Some of the most magical moments are when uh, you have a customer, a regular customer who you know is a sort of starting out photographer, writer, designer, illustrator, and someone who's much more established pops in, um, and they get to have this incredible exchange of ideas. Um, We've had a few of those encounters I've been able to witness, and those are just so magic.
0: What's your favorite part of it all? What, what's I mean, you know, there's so many different sides to doing this, right? But there's you know, some of it's fun, some of it's not so much so fun. But what, what do you enjoy?
2: I like being in the shop. That is my favorite, and I definitely get to do it less and less as as things get busier behind the scenes. How how often do you get to spend time in the shop these days?
0: I, I, I don't. I'm in I mean, the odd lunch. I did do Saturday last week, and. and I think it's important to carry on doing that to remind yourself of everything. But um, uh, that is, you know, it's, it's the meeting people. It's exhausting, but it's empowering and exciting and uh, thrilling.
2: Yeah, and you get to see it, um, to sort of see things in action. One of my favourite things is still unboxing orders. That part is still so much fun. It's
0: like Christmas.
2: <laughs> Nothing makes me happier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. every <laughs> single time, every yeah. single time. Yeah. And, you know, we're new enough. Um, that I'm still unboxing publications I've only ever seen online. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still sort of things, until we get through sort of a full year cycle, there's still still moments where I was like, ooh, that's how big that is. Interesting. Uh-huh. There's
0: also something really beautiful about seeing sort of 10 copies of the same thing. So I've been opening a box and there's several of them and it's something, the repeat is really satisfying.
2: It is satisfying. Um, and I love watching the way my staff, Mitchell and Sabrina, uh, organize the shop. When I come in, typically when I come into the store, into my office on Mondays after a weekend, they've done a full reorganization and everything looks different. Um, and that's really fun too, to see what they've grouped together mm-hmm. um, and how they've stacked, stacked things.
0: We, we get asked a lot, how, how, how do we group things together? I and mean, what, what is the logic? And there's a little bit of logic to some of it, but largely everything's just by mood or whatever, you know, They're very hard to pigeonhole. Do you have any kind of sections on your shelves or is it all just laid out?
2: It's a little bit of that. There's some organization, but I'm not sure it's super obvious to anybody who isn't us. Um, We've been able to group some of the fashion titles together because there's so many of them. Um, We have a tendency to be able to group some of the food titles together and some of the literary titles. But, But you're right. It is hard to pigeonhole a lot of the independent publications. So... Some of them move around. Some of them hang out in fashion for a couple of weeks, and then they head over and hang out in our environmental with a bunch of other environmental titles and move again. Do you notice a difference when you rearrange things? Do you have do you have shelves where things tend to get picked up and sold more frequently?
0: Uh, we do. Uh, yes, yes, we do. I mean, I mean, it's just, to some degree it's as simple as, as eye height. You know, if it's sort of within. Easy. we tried to put the big sellers in, in in an obvious kind of right in front of you rather than up there or down there. Um, but then we do also we've got a sort of island space in the middle where a lot that's where all the big, the bigger stacks of things that sell a lot of that we expect to sell or that are on kind of are on the website this week or whatever. It's the things that we have bigged up in some way, so um, but it's still, I mean. It, I'm sure you find this, we we get a lot of people come in and just want to look through all the shelves and they're not really going to pay attention to, you know, they almost want to find something hidden away somewhere. They're, they're looking for that special thing that only they can find.
2: Well, and I think there's something really magical about that, too. I mean, I think that is partially why the physical space is so much more fun than an online marketplace for publications, because the feeling of something when you pick it up and you hold it. You know, I think about like the linen fine on Lunch Lady or, um, you know, some of the foiled covers. Those things, those things catch, catch your attention um, or catch someone's attention and feel so much more special when they've sort of found it amongst a stack of other things. There's a discovery element. There's, there's
0: also just this thing that they're actually, all, they're, they're all such different sizes and thicker and thinner and, you know, there are the special effects and all the extras, but, but actually just seeing a row of magazines and, and you know, they are, they're, they're this size, they're that size, they're, they're, they're really flippy or they're really solid, they vary so much. And I think that just doesn't come across in any sense online.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I mean, I still do that when I'm, that Christmas morning feeling when you're unpacking an order, something always surprises me. Like, oh, why is that? That's so much bigger than I anticipated or that's flimsier than I thought it would be.
0: Sometimes when you open it, are you a bit disappointed by something? Were you thinking it would be bigger or shinier or
2: there's definitely been occasions where I've made something up in my mind that isn't isn't true when it lands. I can't, I can't think of any right now, but it happens. And then of course there's you know things
0: very diplomatic.
2: <laughs> but then there are things that surprise me. So the sort of sheer scale of circus, the new launch sort of large format, that was huge when we opened one of those and, and opened up. How, how big those posters actually were they're massive
0: yes yes that, that's a good case in point you just can't tell from the pdf no and what about what about do you have do you have a kind of least favorite part of it all the, the part that depresses you or, or annoys you that you have to deal with
2: I mean, the administrative stuff always emailing in general mm-hmm. can it just be a blanket email Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i think definitely that that part um is never fun sort of you know
0: it's unforgiving isn't it yeah
2: it is it is there's no sort of energy exchange in in doing the administrative part so the you know paying all of the bills the making sure that the website's up to date that it's working as it should um those things are definitely definitely the least favorite part um or hilariously uh driving to pick up our orders right now is something we've been doing a lot of in that um for whatever reason our shipping carriers haven't been able to read our hours on our front door so I have to go to the various shipping depots to collect oh. orders regularly uh-huh. for the last few weeks. Uh, that part's not fun.
0: Yes yeah. So it's six months in I mean do you kind of feel settled in it now? I mean is it is, is it all working out? Are you feeling confident about the future?
2: I'm feeling really confident about the future of of the bricks and mortar, the the store, so the sort of selling, selling of magazines part um, that's working. The community that's growing up around it is is growing day to day. I said our sales have been really consistent. More and more, as as you told me at the very beginning, um, more and more sort of early early in their publishing journey, publishers are reaching out and asking if we'll stock it. Um, we've sort of like built some momentum, I guess. Um, and I think the thing that I'm less confident about or sort of in a bit of an experimenting phase is what all the extra stuff is, right? So, you know, I think a, a retail magazine storefront um, can sustain itself. I'm not sure that as a business it can make a ton of money on its own. Um, and so there's a whole bunch of other stuff behind the scenes that is exciting and terrifying and totally out of my depth. So, you know, events and things like the the flat plan master classes. Um, as well as some of the messier, trickier behind the scenes stuff here in Canada, like how do we, how do we solve some of our distribution problems? How do we handle this massive geography that is the country of Canada and the exorbitant costs of, of shipping things in and shipping things out? Um, I'm less confident about that stuff, but it's a, it's an interesting puzzle to look at. And, and there's lots of Fascinating conversations that I've had so far.
0: Have you have you had people come to you from other cities and saying, "How do we do this? Can we open a shop in our city?" Or has that not happened yet?
2: Hasn't happened yet. No. Um, there are a few folks who sort of are adding a newsstand in conjunction with something else. Um, so I've met people who you know have an art gallery in a city outside of Toronto, who have a new stand and are trying to figure out how to do those things. Um, but no one else opened a shop just yet. Um, and, you know, even for me, there weren't a lot of folks here in Canada that I could go to. I mean, you were my biggest resource <laughs> when I was opening. Um, we just haven't had, we haven't had a network of, of retail print sales here in Canada in a really long time.
0: Are there local magazines that you can take on and do things with?
2: Yeah, it's been I mean, that's that's sort of the driving force behind behind opening the retail store um, behind issues is that, you know, yes, I'm selling magazines, but my end goal is to is to inject some energy and some joy into an independent publishing here. I, I hope I hope that issues can be a catalyst for independent publishing in Canada. And there's some really exciting projects coming out of here. They're sort of few and far between still, um, but they seem to be ramping up and they seem to be making waves outside of the country, which is exciting. One of our best-selling titles here in the shop is Serviette, which is a food food magazine um, that's being distributed by Rad Alley, so it's fun to see it in other places in the world.
0: We know that. Is that from Toronto?
2: Yeah, so Max okay. Negan, um, who is the founder, that's based here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. They're working on their second issue, which is due out soon. Um, Max owns a brewery here in the city as well Um, so it's been fun to get my copies of Serviette when we sell out the beer delivery folks bring them
0: vital supplies on both fronts
2: yeah um, so that's always fun Um, we have a lot of really interesting publications out of Montreal so Beside which is sort of nature meets culture publication they're doing really interesting things with their business model and their journalism is outstanding um, the folks at LSTW, which is a queer title, also based out of Montreal, um, were big fans of LSTW as well. Um, so there's some real, real interesting things coming out of the city, and I'm I'm hopeful that that's just going to grow over the next few years.
0: I'm sure it will, with you uh, inspiring it.
2: Fingers crossed. <laughs> that's the hope.
0: Great. Well, listen. Uh, thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. And I don't think issues would exist without you, Jeremy. So
0: thank you. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure with you behind it, it, it would have been there anyway. But um, well done on, on the first six months.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Let's catch up after 12 months.
2: I would love to. It's nice to mark these occasions.
0: Yeah, yeah, got it. You, you have to have a first birthday party.
2: We will. We will. I don't know what we're going to do, but we will.
0: Great. Well, thank you again. Take care. You too. Cheers. Bye. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. Huge thanks to both our guests, Andrew Diprose and Nicola Hamilton, and of course to Park Communications for their support. And thank you to you for listening. We'll be back soon for the next episode. In the meantime, look out for news of those events I mentioned earlier. See you soon.